Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, today is November the 15th, 2016. This is episode 1898 of the Survival Podcast. It's a Tuesday. I am back in the saddle. And uh, while not 100% recovered from whatever crud I've been dealing with, um, I think you can hear probably my voice is better than it's been in... I guess three, four weeks now. Um, so hopefully I'll be able to give you a good show today. Um, you know, I say if times get tougher, even if they don't, but I also say, uh, the changing times, right? You know, the, uh, the changing world and the changing times, right? I've been saying that since, well, the very beginning of the show, eight years, eight plus, eight and a half years ago, right? Well, today we're going to talk about a changing world and changing times. We're going to talk about the election of Donald Trump to presidency. And I don't go deep into politics often on this show because I think there's so many outlets for that. But I think this is such a monumentous event. This is something that's so impactful on our lives that we should look at it. And I also believe in equal treatment. So uh, a long time ago, a very, very long time ago, longer ago than it seems, November 5th, 2008, I did the 87th episode of the Survival Podcast. It was entitled Barack Obama One. No, the world isn't over. And... As time is told, I was right. The world didn't end, though there were a lot of people screaming that it was going to. And if you go back and listen, you'll see I largely got what the Obama years would bring right. So now it's time to do the same thing with our new president, Donald Trump. Right now, if you watch TV or you turn on the radio, you will mostly find two groups highlighted. First are the groups that see Trump as the champion, the guy that is going to fix everything and make America great again, and banish liberals to a rock pile to hide under for at least the next eight years. The other is the distraught adult children crying, and I don't just mean the college kids. I'm talking about prime-time liberal media figures who can't comprehend how this happened. Of course, we have riots going on along with actual protests, and adult children weeping and eating Play-Doh, hot chocolate, tissues, safe spaces as coping tools. Sadly, that's not an exaggeration. Some universities are actually giving these young adults coloring books help them cope. They're giving them hot chocolate. They're giving them tissues. They're staging cry-ins. They're, they're putting off exams so these children can deal with this. My view, and I think the view of most Americans, no matter who they voted for or even if they didn't vote as I didn't vote, is far more sober. What exactly is going to come of this, and how will Trump's words meet the reality they will slam into in January when he swears in as president? We're going to talk about that today. We're going to go over Trump's plan what I think of it, and what it really means for all of us. And I'll tell you probably the best news out of this whole thing. It's not written in Trump's plan, and very few people are talking about it. It's out there a little bit, and it has to do with, well, not a whole bunch of people not dying. How about that? Before all that, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Hey, would you like to do business with other members of the TSP community? If so, check out the TSP Business Directory, the place for our listeners to promote their businesses or find great products and services from other community members. Check there first when you need something, and remember to leave a review when you do business with a member. The directory is all about trust and value for value exchange. Check out tspbiz.com, that's tspbiz.com, to learn more. 
Hey guys, if you're like me, you're always concerned about the reckless economic policies of our nation. One way to ensure your wealth is to keep about 5 to 10% of it in precious metals like silver and gold. And my first choice when I'm buying either is Jam Bullion because I get personalized service, free shipping, and better pricing than the big silver houses all in one place. Check out jambullion.com to learn more. Next up, let's take a look at the year that was the episode, the year 1898, because the episode is 1898. I have for you today, The War of the Worlds and the End of History, and I have Remember the Main, To Hell with Spain, and in other news, the negative of the Shroud of Turin is made, you've seen the picture a hundred times, Annie Oakley promotes women in combat, suggests that women sharpshooters could aid in the Spanish-American War, and Pierre and Marie Curie discover radium, Marie Curie will become the first woman to be awarded the Nobel Prize, she'll also die when her... Uh, Discovery kills her, and Ferdinand uh, Ferdinand von Zeppelin builds his first airship. Several gas bags and a thin-skinned framework are used to push people around, sort of like Congress. <laughs> That's Alex's joke, not mine, but it's a good one. I'm going to read The War of the Worlds and the End of History because, boy, it, it has a lot to teach us in the modern day. We are at the apex of a major cycle in history. Historians will call this phenomenon the end of history, meaning that the current generation thinks and has the whole world figured out. For example, the United Kingdom has grown from 1.5 square million square miles in 1800 to a global empire of 11 million square miles. They figure they're doing something right, but an end of history implies the situation will last forever, like when politicians claim they have ended the business cycle. Deterioration, uh, <clears throat> deterioration follows, and eventually the conquerors become the conquered because they no longer believe they have the moral right to defend themselves. But wars can be avoided if people are paying attention. So to get their attention, H.G. Wells publishes War of the Worlds. The Martians invade Earth and wipe out millions with a heat ray. Although it is a great story, there is a philosophical undercurrent. Religion is portrayed as a, as a comfort to the mindless. <clears throat> In the movie War of the Worlds 2005, the mind, a mindless clergyman is replaced by a mindless survivalist. Then the comfort of the military is overturned by the technical innovations of the Martians. Unfortunately, the public refuses to wake up. 19th century blind optimism is about to hit the brick wall of the 20th century. Quote, across the gulf of space, intellects vast and cool and unsympathetic regarded this earth with envious eyes and slowly and surely drew their plans against us. And early in the 20th century came the great disillusionment. The War of the Worlds, Book One, Chapter One. My take by Alex Shrugged. Sixteen years later, World War I began. They called it the Great War, or the war to end all wars. But countries used the war to send their undesirables into a meat grinder. By the end of the war, cynicism ranged, reigned. When were the first signs of deterioration? The bicycle, the electric light, the telephone. The leap in technology was like the Martians landing. With freedom of movement and communication, parents lost control of the next generation. The electric light allowed a nightlife to develop, and cities gave young people anonymity. We dream of the good old days when the world was a better place, but the world only exists in our minds. Our parents were struggling to adjust, to change, just as we struggle today. We can dream, but there is no going back. The way out is forward, as always. Indeed, we think we have the world figured out, and new technologies are at, that seem to be empowering us are actually leading us into problems. Does that sound like anything going on today? Um... And I'm not even just talking about automation. I'm talking about the existing technologies that are here right now that we're using. Think about 
what it must have been like to be alive in, in this time period, the, the, the 1800s after Civil War leading up to the 1900s, right? All of this stuff came out. All of a sudden, you can have a conversation with somebody half a country away as though they're sitting right next to you. Um, all of a sudden, you can go to a place at night, and it'll be lit up. And you can get away from the people who are always looking at you and judging you and, and holding you back and restraining you. And now you can actually be who you really are, or you can be someone you're not because it's fun. And what kind of cultural impact does that have to a society that's not ready for it or not ready to accept that it's happening and deal with it? These are things that, yes, led toward things like World War One. What about the Internet? What about Twitter? How much more freedom do children have today and young adults have today to be somebody who they really are, to be somebody they aren't because of these technologies alone in the virtual world? Have we ever really examined that? Have we ever really thought about how that will impact us? Has there ever been a time when we've been more divided as a people? I think there has been, but here's the thing about that. We may be less divided, but our divisions are more obvious. Therefore, they can be more problematic. Keep that in mind as we go through today's uh, show. So, again, I want to talk about the Trump coming presidency and, and what Trump has planned and what I think of it. And But I want to start out with the question that everybody keeps asking. How did this happen? How did this happen? And, of course, <clears throat> the, the closest people to giving a correct answer are the ones that are kind of happy about it. The right wing is saying, you know, if you call people homophobic, xenophobic, etc., over and over long, long enough, don't be surprised if they eventually just say F you and vote against you no matter what the situation is. And I, I think there's some truth to that. And I think that actually is the answer, but I, I think that we're looking at it right now through a very narrow lens and a very shallow temporal distance, right? We're looking at this as though, well, this all happened in the last two years or even the last eight years. The truth is, this has been building for a very long time. Our nation had a lot of problems in its past. And I'm not saying we don't now, but I'm saying we had a lot of problems in our past that we've pretty much gotten past. Um, right up until the 70s, racism in this country really was a problem. It wasn't a problem everywhere. Not everybody was a racist, but there was a lot of racism. And, and there was a lot of sexism problems as well. And the people that are running the world today, the 30-somethings, the 40-somethings, the 50-somethings, the 60-somethings, th those are the decades of your life when you actually get a say-so. Now, are there some people with a lot of power in their 70s and some in their 20s? Sure. But by and large, it, it's those years that you're running companies or in management positions or doing something that actually has a major impact until... You're, you know, in your, your early 30s, generally you're too young to, to, to get any headway. Now, there's some of us who do, so don't take this personal. I, like I said, whenever you do, well, I'm 75 and I'm still running 15 companies. Well, then you shouldn't be butthurt at 75. You shouldn't understand this, right? Well, I'm 22 and I have my own company. I understand, right? But the major portion of society, it's the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s that people have the greatest impact. And... If you, if, you, if you shave off the 30s, which are kind of edging between that millennial Gen X gap, and you stick with Gen X, the tweeners, and the baby boomers, the, the last of the baby boomers, the Gen X crowd, 
and the tweeners. And the tweeners was this weird generation, but little, it's like a half a generation that uh, demographers have skipped out that says, this is, you're not really a baby boomer, you're not really Gen X. We're the ones that have that influence right now. We really are. And it's our parents who tend to be in that late 60s, 70s, 80s range, the Social Security crowd, etc., World War II crowd, uh, the backside of the baby boomers. And while they were part of the racism and the sexism, they, they by and large evolved out of it. So you have this whole swath of people, and then you've got some that are aberrations, plus you've got some of the young that are part of the swath that basically say, listen, okay, this country did a lot of stupid shit. But in general, right now, if you want to be successful and you're not, being black isn't why you're not successful. Being a woman is not why you're not successful. Being Asian is not why you're not successful. Being gay is not why you're not successful. Even a lot of people that don't like people of, of other races or don't like gay people, for instance, still feel like, you know, I don't like you, but I don't care. Right? There's not the big hatred, the big move to keep, it's gone. But, When that transition began, and it really began in the 60s, and it was really taking up steam in the 70s, and by the 80s, it was mostly here. It was mostly here. There were still things that were wrong against people that were of different sexual preferences, stuff like. but basically they could live their lives. So we have this, this massive swath of society that's lived in this real reality for this period of time that has been accused constantly of being racist. People like me, who who are like the least racist of all because I am what people would perceive as right-leaning, even though I'm a libertarian, I'm called a racist. If I make a statement like, well, being black is not an excuse, oh, you're a racist. It's not a year of this. It's not a couple years of this. It's three Decades of being insulted. Three decades of being insulted. And this campaign became nothing but an insult. Now, I understand that Trump, Trump and, and Hillary insulted the shit out of each other. Constantly. I, I, that's all I'm talking about. This, this campaign became a constant barrage of insults insinuating that anybody that would vote for Donald Trump is a racist, a sexist, a xenophobic, whatever is they could throw at you. And I think what really happened, more than anything else, is people said, F you. I'm tired of this. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. And there were the 40% on both sides that would have voted for my dog if he had been either, you know, either the Democrat or the Republican. But... That 20% in the middle, more of them said F you than didn't. And that's what swung this election. People are sick of it. And I told my wife a few days before the election, my wife was big on she wanted Donald Trump to win. And I was big on it's not going to matter. And the next four years will probably prove me right. Even though I'm going to have some good things to say about what Donald Trump wants to do today. Very, very good things. Um, But the TV kept saying, you know, there's no way he's going to lose, historic defeat, first woman president, she's going to win in a landslide. And she was getting kind of upset about it. I said, well, first of all, relax, because you don't have any control over this. But second of all, I don't think so. I think he's going to win. I think they're vastly underestimating how pissed off people are. And they did.
And basically, this was a giant middle finger, the vote for Trump. Many people who, when Trump came out and said he was running for president, said, never Trump. Once he was the nominee, said, Trump. And the more they were bashed for it, even if they didn't, even if nobody knew they were bashing them, the more they became ingrained, well, then it's going to be Trump. And what is the left's response to this? To double down. They've learned nothing. You're all racist. You're all sexist. So keep doing that. Keep doing that. See if anybody listens to you that matters. Because they won't. And I'm not going to talk about the basically adult daycare that they're establishing on colleges much now. There's been enough of that. And the safety pins to show that you're safe and all this other crap. And the, the protests versus the rioters. I mean, we... We have protesters and we have rioters. And if I were in charge of a city and you were protesting in the city, I would say, that's great. You have a constitutional right to protest. You break a car window, you're getting your, your skull cracked and you're going to jail. I'm serious. And I know I'm like the, the most like, hey, we should have, you know, complete freedom. And no, you start busting people's property and shit, then I'm sorry. You start lighting shit on fire, then I'm sorry. Then, then you know, we're gonna we're not going to have that. Because what I believe is the right to safety, security, and property. That's what I believe. I don't think we need a state to do it, but if the state's the apparatus that we have right now, so be it. You start blocking highways and endangering people, and we have people dying because the ambulance can't get to the hospital. You're going to prison. Well, jail, I mean, not really prison. Jail. You're going to jail. I mean, literally, when they move into a highway, I'd cord the whole damn thing off, and I'd have a paddy wagon after paddy wagon after paddy wagon after paddy wagon until the shit stopped. That's how I'd handle it. And I do think a lot of these protests are being paid for. I think there's ample evidence for that. We have photos of the, pro the organic protests in Austin of lines of buses that drop the protesters off. I don't know about you. I've actually been to a protest or two in my life, and I never took a bus to get there. This is, this is bullshit. But I'm not going to... Like dig into that because that's all that's on TV, and that's all the, that's all the noise. And just keep that in mind for the finishing segment today. What I actually want to talk about is well, what the hell is going to happen? What are Trump's plans? So um, on NPR they have Trump's plans, exactly what he calls his contract with America, and I want to go over it point by point, tell you what it means, whether it's going to happen or not, and you know we'll, we'll kind of dig into all of it today. It says. Um, First, I will propose a constitutional amendment to impose term limits on all members of Congress. Uh, likelihood this will happen. 100% he will propose a constitutional amendment. Likelihood anything else will happen with it. Zero. Basically what he's saying is I'm going to turn to the foxes and propose to them that they pass a law that says they're not allowed to rake in the chicken house anymore. My job is done. I've proposed it. So it's a feel-good Thing. And I'm all for term limits for Congress, but I don't see it happening. Um, second, a hiring freeze on all federal employees to reduce federal workforce through attrition, exempting military, public safety, and public health. Um, well, those are your three, three biggest departments of government, but overall, fine. So what he's saying, just so you, I mean, this is something people have to read the whole thing. A hiring freeze to reduce the workforce through attrition. In other words, we're going to let people retire. We're not going to lay people off. But as people leave, the departments want to figure out how to deal without them and, and, and shrink somewhat. 
So we get a natural shrinking of the government workforce. Great. Odds of it happening, pretty good. How long? Don't know. How long does it need to be in place for it to really matter? At least three years. At least three years. Not that many people retire every year. Okay? <clears throat> Third, a requirement that for every new federal regulation, two existing regulations must be eliminated. Uh, this is Talk Radio 101 right here. Every conservative says it's a good idea. It's great, but it doesn't, it doesn't work. Um, how are you going to enforce that? Because federal regulations, we also call these laws, um, come to us from Congress. Okay, And I'll talk about if he means agency regulations in just a second, how that also gets complicated. Um, and then the president can veto them. That would be one way you could say, like, if you want a new law, you got to remove two laws. But laws no longer come as, like, one sheet of paper that say, uh, this is a law that proposes this, and here's our two things we've repealed. No. Um, you know, they come as 1,200 to 1,500 page monstrosities that have, even though they're called a regulation, they have billions of regulations within them. Um, I think this is a nice sentiment. I'd like to see Trump stand the ground and try to hold some level of accountability here, but he can only do so much. Uh, now, agencies like the EPA and, uh, and what have you that, that write code, and if you're talking about regulation through code, the president can have some effect of that because he can basically say, listen, um, Tom, whoever Tom is, head of whatever agency Tom's head of, Tom, if you don't do this, uh, you don't get to be head of that agency anymore, and as a president, I can fire you and replace you. That could happen, but this is one of those things that has a tendency to be, even if the person means well, even if Trump means it, there's so much other shit you have to deal with, it kind of falls by the wayside. So I think it's it's setting a attitude, and as best he can do to lead with that attitude, great, because I'm all for repealing. I, I, I If it was me, I'd be more like, well, I want to see you know everything we can repeal on my desk in the first 60 days. Everything that everybody in every agency feels is unnecessary, I want it on my desk in the next 60 days so we can work on repealing that. Don't even talk to me about I don't give a shit how much it repealed. We're not even talking about new regulations right now. That's the kind of way that I would come at this, but I'm not there, right? Um, fourth, a five-year ban on White House and congressional officials becoming lobbyists after they leave government service. Okay, again, I think that's a great idea, But I think only Congress can make that happen. So he's going to ask for it, and then I, well, I asked, right? Okay. Fifth, a lifetime ban on White House officials lobbying on behalf of foreign government. Okay, again, this has to come from Congress, who can also repeal it at any time they choose in the future, as long as they want to and a future president is on board with it. So I think those are also things that are like, they sound great. When you hear them, you're like, that's wonderful, but don't bet on it. And six, a complete ban on foreign lobbyists raising money for American elections. Um, you know, these bans, if he can make some kind of show of putting that forward as proposed legislation, and if he can get Speaker Ryan to put them together, there's a possibility, even though I said he wouldn't, he could get them all. He could get all of those. He won't get term limits, but he could get those because... Ooh, it's a, a tough thing to not do if you can, and he's got the pulpit, right? So it could be done, but I don't bet on it because I think he's going to have so many other things he's trying to get done. On this, this is the first day. This is not first hundred days. On the same day, I will be taking the following seven actions to protect American workers. First, I will announce my intention to renegotiate NAFTA or the withdrawal from the deal. 
under Article 2205. So he's going to do nothing except say, hey, what we said we were going to do, we're going to do that. So he's going to formally put our partners in the NAFTA trade agreement on notice, hey, we're coming to the table to renegotiate this. What do I think the odds are that we'll get some positive renegotiation out of NAFTA? I think it's significant. Uh, what do I think the actual impact will be? Almost nothing. For all the noise and, and everything that we're in a state now where things are changing so rapidly from a manufacturing standpoint, uh, from a job standpoint, that it won't really do much. That anything we would gain will be offset by automation taking the job that would have been created in his absence. Second, I will announce our withdrawal from the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Yes, done, the end, yes, yes, yes. One of the best things that Trump can and will do on day one. I am totally for that. I totally support that. I don't think we should be in any of these trade agreements and organizations. Um, this is not free trade. Free trade doesn't require the government to get involved. Free trade requires the government to get uninvolved. Not set up requirements and things for each other, and this is what you do, and this is what we do, and this is what you get, and this is what I get. Free trade would be the businesses of the world trading with each other. I'm against all of them, so withdrawal from any of them, I'm fine with. He can do that. Um, he doesn't need any help to do that. He will do that. It will be held as a bellwether success. Um, it will have no impact on anybody adversely because it hasn't really started yet. So there is no real ramification, so it's easy to do. Okay. I will direct the Secretary of Treasury to label China a currency manipulator. And China won't care, and no one will care, and it doesn't mean anything. Um, now, what will happen after that as to talking to China about not manipulating the currency, we'll see. I think China's basically going to say, oh, what do I do what we want? I, I really do. I, I don't think you're going to get anywhere there. And, I mean, if I were China, I'd say, pot, kettles calling you on line one. All we do is manipulate our currency. We constantly manipulate our currency. That's why we have a Federal Reserve. Every major nation on the planet manipulates their currency. But, to be fair to Trump, what Trump means is China manipulates its currency specifically in relation to how it floats against the U.S. dollar. It keeps the, its currency fixed against the U.S. dollar. Therefore, following our manipulations, therefore constantly maintaining a trade advantage by keeping their currency weak against the dollar. Um, I don't think you can prevent a sovereign nation from doing that. I really don't. So I, I don't think that will really mean anything. Fourth, I will direct the Secretary of Commerce and U.S. Trade Representative to identify all foreign trading abuses that unfairly impact American workers and direct them to use every tool under American and international law to end those abuses immediately. Blah, 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 blah. Um, there's absolutely no teeth in that. Sounds good. We'll all identify abuses and we will we'll end those abuses. What abuses? You notice in all this time, other than China manipulates its currency, Trump hasn't said one abuse, one specific abuse. Hey, these people are doing this in trade with us, and it needs to stop. We just need better deals. We don't get good deals anymore. We need somebody that gets deals. Um, I'd love to tell you that that means something. It, it, it really doesn't. Fifth, I will lift restrictions on the production of $50 trillion worth of job-producing American energy reserves, including shell oil, natural gas, and clean coal. Yes, he will do that. He can do that. That was basically closed up by Obama executive orders, therefore it can be rescinded by Trump executive orders. 
But with the price of energy right now, don't look for uh, the energy companies to go after that stuff. And it's not so simple. It's not so simple. There's layers of restrictions. He can remove those top-level Obama restrictions. And some of that stuff is in places where nobody really wants it extracted unless necessary, like the Alaskan wildlife refuges and things like that. So that'll have some effect. And that'll actually have some net positive effect on the U.S. economy. It absolutely will. Six, lift the Obama-Clinton roadblocks and allow vital energy infrastructure projects like the Keystone Pipeline to move forward. Um, Keystone Pipeline is always going to move forward. Uh, Obama got to a point where I can just sit on this and just wait, and it won't be me that did it. I can either leave it to Hillary or leave it to Donald, and I'm the guy that tried to prevent it. Um, that was going to happen anyway, but that's a good thing uh, for American America's economy. You can not like pipelines, you can not like fossil fuels, etc., but that's what we have right now. And that's what, and, and that will have a net positive effect on the economy. I'm not saying it's a net good thing for the whole world and kumbaya and polar bears, but it's, it's a net good thing for the economy. And yes, it will happen. Seventh, cancel billions in payments to UN, UN climate change programs and use the money to fix America's water and environmental infrastructure. Who effing raw? Us paying billions of dollars to the UN for their climate change programs is stupid. No matter what you think about climate change, if the UN wants to initiate climate change protocols, let the people that want to do that pay for it. Not us. Not us. Now, will the billions really go to our infrastructure and our environment? Uh, I don't know. And our water? I, I don't know. Money has a funny way of, like, when you stop spending it somewhere in government, just being spent elsewhere in a government and not necessarily being accountable where those dollars stopped being spent and went to. Uh, but I'd like to see that done. I would actually like us to see improve our our actual environmental infrastructure here. Instead of worrying about you know how much carbon footprint you have, let's our environmental infrastructure. How about we stop all of the chemicals and shit from the farmlands going into the Mississippi River, creating a dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico? We could do that with earth moving equipment. It would be a permanent fix. It would be a permanent solution. It could be done the total thing for about a hundred billion dollars. Now, there's not $100 billion in that one bucket, but there's about $20 billion. And we get 20% of it done, prove that it works, and we'd make some progress, and maybe we'd have the will to get the rest of it done. So I'm all for it. I just don't see it actually happening that way. But the overall, we're going to stop paying for this fake, fictitious bullshit they call climate change. Yeah, I'm, I'm all for that. Um, additionally, on the first day, I will take following five actions to restore security constitutional rule of law. First, cancel every unconstitutional executive action memorandum and order is issued by President Obama. Excellent! I almost wish he wouldn't have included the word unconstitutional in there. It gives him an out. Gives him an out. Well, I wanted to cancel this one, but it's not unconstitutional. Um, I would have said I would cancel every executive order by President Obama that I feel presents either a risk to our nation, or strangles its ability to move forward uh, from an economic standpoint, or unfairly hampers anybody or any citizen out there. Uh, something like that. Maybe a little more eloquent, have my press secretary go over it. Something like that. Basically, it doesn't have to be unconstitutional. It just has to be something that I don't think ever should have been done. If he has the authority to do it, I have the authority to undo it. You have to be careful. Some of these executive orders have 
put certain things in motion. And whenever you start unraveling something, you have to say, well, when I unravel it, what, what am I, what am I affecting, you know, in the, the fifth ripple in the pond? So with the executive orders, not as much as some other places, but that's, that's something to look at. But I think he will. Odds of this happening every, I don't know, but a lot. So you can make a big statement. Yes. How will it affect your personal life? Very little. All these horrible executive orders Obama passed, most of you object to them on moral grounds, not on direct effect of your life. I, I can't think of anything in my life that radically changed after Barack Obama signed an executive order, though I'm opposed to them. So it's a win, but it doesn't change your life. Huh? Kind of finding a common theme here, right? Um, second, begin the process of selecting a replacement for Justice Scalia from one of the 20 judges on my list who will uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States. Donald Trump's list of 20 judges, he's now committed to pulling one off of them. That is a win. If you wanted to make a case to me for why you voted for Trump and you said because of this one thing, I'd say, okay, good point. Don't think your vote mattered, but, you know, are you from Wisconsin? You know, <laughs> um, you know, if so, well, maybe, maybe, maybe it did, right? But overall, um, that's one of the best things we're getting out of what Trump says he's going to do. Third, cancel all federal funding to sanctuary cities. I've looked into this, and it does look as if the President of the United States can make this happen. Houston, you don't want to uh, comply with the request from ICE, and you don't want to assist us with the apprehension and deportation of illegal immigrants who we are looking for specifically. You don't get your federal funding. That's a good thing. And I'll, I'll explain why in a second. Fourth, begin removing more than 200 million criminal illegal aliens from the country and cancel visas to foreign countries that won't take them back. Well, that's why. Because Donald Trump has never intended, no matter what he said, to deport 11 million people. But we do have about 2 million people in this country that aren't supposed to be here in the first place that are absolutely criminals. And all one needs to do is go to a major penitentiary And you can see exactly what I'm talking about. And, and when you see these people that are MS-13 gang members and stuff like that, and they're in our prison system, and they have no legal status in the United States, and when they eventually get released, they don't get deported, you have to ask yourself, what the hell's wrong with us? And what Trump's saying is, one of the problems is that when we try to deport these people in Mexico or Honduras or whatever, we say, well, we don't want them. We don't want them. Okay, that's fine. You don't want them. Well, then you're not going to get any American dollars. You're not getting any American dollars. That's that's basically what Trump's saying. And I think there's other leverage points, like most of these countries you pay financial aid to. You cut that off, too. There's a lot of leverage we can exist, a lot of soft power leverage. And I think we should, because the way I feel about this is, if you come to this country illegally, I don't like that, but I understand why. If you come to this country illegally and you start stealing from people and harming people and threatening people and, and, and pointing guns at people and shooting people and killing people and raping people, then yes, you need to go home. But, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll save my thoughts on how you prevent them from coming back because Trump's got that covered, to be fair. Uh, fifth, suspend immigration from terror-prone regions where vetting cannot safely occur. All vetting of people coming into our country will be considered extreme vetting. Um, I, I think that this is his middle ground between the whole ban Muslims. 
But I don't think we should be letting people into this country from Syria right now. Unless we can specifically say we're letting this person in because this is why. And we know this person is this person because here's how. Because right now I do not believe that we can actually vet these people. And I'm in favor of that. And the president can do that. So he will do that. This will give him the political clout he needs to tell all of you people that say, just throw them all out of here. I want them all gone. Well, we can't do that. By getting very tough on the criminal illegals and by banning immigration from terror-prone regions where vetting can't safely approve. He's say, look what I did. And by making a sincere effort to build this wall, he's going to mollycoddle and pacify you guys because he's probably going to normalize most of the 11 million and give them legal status. That's probably what's going to happen. So let's get into his 100-day plan. Middle Class Tax Relief and Simplification Act, an economic plan designed to grow the economy 4% for a year and create at least 25 million new jobs. Sorry, Donald Trump can't grow new jobs because government doesn't create jobs. But through massive tax reduction and simplification, that can work. You reduce taxes, you'll have more jobs here. Uh, the largest tax reduction are for the middle class. A middle class family with two children will get a 35% tax cut. The current member uh, brackets will be reduced from 7 to 3. Tax forms will likely greatly simplified. The business rate will go from 35 to 15%. And trillions of American dollars in corporate money overseas can now be brought back to a 10% rate. Uh, be brought back at a 10% rate. So I'll give you the short version. I'm going to give you the, the no bullshit version. So what he's saying is instead of seven tax brackets, we'll have three. Pretty much everybody's taxes will go down. And then the business tax rate will go to 15%. This is the billionaire's tax cut that everybody is losing their shit about. Let me explain to you why it's not. Let's say that I create a company called Jackco. And let's say Jackco is a very successful company. Jackco makes a profit of $10 million a year. And right now, Jackco pays 40%. On that $10 million, 45% actually, by the time everything's said and done. Let's so say 40%. So $4 million that I pay tax on Jacko money. Um, now, that's before I pay a dividend to my uh, shareholders. That's before I pay a dividend to myself. That's before I take a distribution. That's before, that's before anything other than salaries and expenses, okay? Which are taxed as personal income, by the way, or capital gains. Got it? That's money that would otherwise stay in the company. So what does Jack do? Jack says to, to Singapore, hey, Singapore, what's your tax rate? Singapore says 20%. And I say, you mean I can leave $22 million a year more in my company if I put my headquarters in Singapore? And Singapore says, why, yes, Jack, you can. So I move Jack Co. to Singapore, the company, and I stay right here. In America, I don't have to go. You think, you think the people that put Apple in China went with it? All right. I pay myself a salary, distributions, etc. I pay personal taxes on those. If I leave $2 million more in Jackco, it's not my money. It's the company's money. Now, what am I going to do with it? I'm going to invest in a company. I'm going to hire people. That's, what I'm, that's why I did it in the first place. So when Trump says he can bring jobs back to America, what he's really saying is I can bring businesses back to America and the jobs will come with them. And we'll see how automation cannibalizes that effect. But if you cut now, it's can he get it done? If you cut the corporate tax rate to 15%, and here's how it would impact for my, the way I understand Trump's plan. Most of us that are small business people, we don't run corporations that pay the 40% tax. We run LLCs and S-Corps that do pass-through income. Okay, this is bad too, though. And I'll explain why. I have a company 
Permethos, for example, because we have to pay out our partners money we wouldn't take out of the company every year because of this. And let's say the company made $100,000 this year. I am a 35% owner in Permethos, therefore I'm on the hook for $35,000 in taxes. Well, I didn't draw a salary. I didn't need to take money out. We want the money in the company to keep building it and doing good things. That's what we want to do with it. But I got to pay tax on the 35 grand. I'm not paying it out of pocket. So we figure out based on my tax bracket that on that 35 grand, I'm going to have to pay about $10,000 in taxes, 15, probably 12,5. We said we're not sure. It's going to be 12,5 or something like that. So we just say, Jack, here's the company cuts me a distribution of $15,000. I use it to cover my tax burden. And the company never pays taxes. I do. That's how that's how most small businesses are run because they run as S corps and LLCs. All right, and that's whether it's one person in, owns the company or ten. It doesn't matter. It always passes through based on your share of ownership. With this tax provision by Trump, an LLC owner would have the ability to leave the money in the company and pay tax on it on the flat fifteen percent corporate rate and only pay tax on the money that came out of the LLCs or the S-Corp. It will basically change the entity from a pass-through to a taxed entity, but you'll have the option of paying. If you're, if you're a kind of person that takes all the money out anyway every year, you're basically a contractor using an LLC for uh, liability purposes or for your interaction with your, your primary client, you can pay it as pass-through income. But if you leave the money in, then the money can accumulate within the company as long as it's under a company bank account or some type of company holdings subject to all their laws, rules, and regulations. This is fantastic. This is fantastic because it incentivizes me to leave the money in the company. Now, here's what I think is going to happen. All that good shit I just said that would pertain to small businesses, not going to happen. They'll never get the change because that's a major change. Applying it to LLCs and S-Corps, That's changing the way those structures exist in our country. So if they do get it done, it will only be for like the C-Corps, the Inks, which are the bigger businesses, which will leave a lot of small companies going, do I want to change my entity status from LLC to Inc.? And it will be a viable option, but it's more complicated than just filling out a form. But, but this is probably the best thing Trump has proposed, is cutting corporate taxes. Because, first of all, companies don't pay taxes. They pass them on to you. But the companies do shelter their tax dollars by going overseas. That's why they go overseas. And right now, Apple has like $80 billion in China. $80 billion. Do you think Apple wants $80 billion in China? Do you really? They don't. You know, the Chinese said, we won't make iPhones anymore. You don't make iPhones. Apple does. Shut up. Right? That's that's Chinese negotiating 101, an extreme response, right? Okay, so Apple would be happy to bring their $80 billion back to the United States, much more safe and secure in the United States than it is in China. If Apple decided to do that today, they would pay a 40% tax to bring the money back. 40%. And every Apple shareholder would call an attorney, and it would be a giant class action suit, and Apple would get sued by its own shareholders in class action For, for negating its fiduciary responsibility and the shareholders would win. Because it's irresponsible to lose 40% of $80 billion dollars because you wanted to change where your bank account is held. But if they can bring it back for 10%, they'll do it in a heartbeat. Then that money is here, and that money can fund 
investments of corporations inside and business inside the United States. Whether it creates jobs or not, we'll see. Again, because automation. But that's what that is. And the Offshoring Act established tariffs and discouraged companies from laying off their workers in order to, re in order to relocate to other countries and ship their products back to the U.S. tax-free. In other words, if you do this, you're going to pay a tariff as though you were there in the first place, which is kind of meaningless and probably will never happen. Uh, American Energy and Infrastructure Act leaves public-private partnerships, leverages public-private partnerships, and private investments through tax incentives to spur $1 trillion in infrastructure investment over 10 years. This is revenue neutral. Uh, somebody told me they heard Glenn Beck talking about this. He said, that's a stimulus. Trump's doing a stimulus. No, 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 no. Um, this is actually Morodes. This is actually privatizing some of our infrastructure. This is giving tax incentives to private organizations to step up and fund the rebuilding of some infrastructure and oversee the maintenance of infrastructure in return for the ability to charge tolls to use it. This is privatizing the roads. I don't know if it'll get done. I don't know if it's enough. But basically what we're saying is you have a whole bunch of effed up bridges that are going to collapse someday and people are going to die and highways that are in disrepair and we can't afford to fix them. But private industry will fix them if we make it advantageous for them to do so and give them a stake in the revenue potential that they represent. So as a libertarian anarchist, I worry about the whole fascism intertangled thing going on there, the quasi-government you know, quasi -government organizations that could be created. But the overall direction, I like it. Whether it'll happen or not, we'll see. Uh, American Energy and Infrastructure, uh, that's one I just read. Um, School Choice and Education Opportunity Act redirects education dollars to give parents the right to send their kids to public, private, charter, magnet, religious, or homeschool of their choice. Ends Common Core brings education supervision to local communities. It expands vocational and technical education and makes two and year four college more affordable. Um, notice it doesn't say how any of that shit happens. So ending Common Core, all for it, except right now no state is required to do Common Core. States have made that decision because state bureaucrats are just as bad as federal ones. But if he basically says the federal government no longer supports this, we're not going to have this, and we're not going to tell you what to do, that's a good thing. Um, expanding vocational and technical education. I think that's great, but how are you going to do it without just spending money we don't have? right? So I think maybe stop telling every kid they need to go to college would just make that happen by itself. Make college more affordable. I'm all for it, but how are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? Um, I don't know. Now, as far as giving parents the right to send their kids to public, private, charter, magnet, religious, or homeschool of their choice, uh, right now parents pretty much have that right. Now, each state regulates how it ha handles things like home and private schools. So if you're giving control of education back to the states, is what you say you're doing, and a state makes homeschooling overly restrictive and you tell the state they can't do that, aren't you in a conflict of interest? Are we talking about some sort of parents' rights bill at the federal level in, in, inside this that says parents can do this whether, whether you like it or not? And there's a whole state's rights debate there. And does it mean anything? You have a right to, uh, to send your child to charter school or private school or public, uh, public school or anything you want. Well, do I get the money? The, the, the $10,000, the $12,000, the $14,000 that's being spent on my child to be in a public education classroom? Do I get to use you know that money to fund their education? Here's their expenses. It doesn't even add up to what you said, but it adds up to eight grand. Do I get to take tax deductions because I'm self-funding? What do I get out of this in order for me to reduce the burden on the state school system? 
until you have some kind of thing like that, and this is things that sound good that make conservatives very happy, make me happy on some level, but yet I don't see the how. Repeal and replace Obamacare Act. Fully repeals Obamacare and replaces it with health savings accounts, the ability to purchase health insurance across state lines, and let states manage Medicare funds. Reforms will include cutting red tape at the FDA. There's over 4 million drugs awaiting approval. We want to especially speed the approval of life-saving medications. So we're going to more quickly get drugs through the system so we can have more drug commercials on Fox News. Um, that's one of the things we're hearing there. I know everybody's on you know, Obamacare. We'll get to that in a second. But um, making the drug approval process faster and cheaper is enriching the pharmaceutical companies. I'm not saying that it's not overall a good thing. I'm saying let's be honest about what it, what it is. Um, repeal or replace Obamacare. This is going to be, we're going to see how good a deal maker he is because Trump has to make three deals here. He has to make a deal with the Republicans. He has to make a deal with the Democrats. And he has to make a deal with the people who voted for him. He does not have to make a deal with the people who voted against him. So when I say Republicans and Democrats, I'm talking about people in government. Um, The people that voted against him mostly will never support him anyway. He's not going to govern like he's running for re-election until the third year, at least. And uh, so he doesn't have time for those people. So he doesn't have to care whether or not they're happy. What he has to do is, well, can, he, can he bring together those and can he cover his six from his own people who's about to sell out on some level here? Here's what I think this is going to look like. He realizes all of a sudden there's these 20-some million people that have Obamacare. And most of them could not get insurance without it. Now, not all of them. There are some people that have it because if they don't, they're going to get fined. And uh, they'd rather pay for the insurance than pay for the fine. And that's becoming more true as we move into the next year, as the fine continues to go up. And there's a lot of people who think it's crappy insurance, but they have something. But they have something. And how do you get rid of them? And you can't. And that's what even the Republicans are saying now. Well, we don't want to throw all these people under the bus. However, this is what nobody's saying in the media. This is what you tuned, if this is your issue, you tuned in to hear just this today. I'm about to tell you what's going to happen, and I'm going to tell you why, and I'm going to put it to you. You're going to go, well, why does nobody else see this? Those 20 million people, before I say it, they're not bad people. They didn't do it. It's not their fault. They're not bad people. They didn't do it. It's not their fault. They didn't do it. They're not bad people. It's not their fault. And if you're one of them and you write me, I will delete your email because you're being stupid. I said it three times so it would go through your thick effing skull, okay? But they are the problem. Those 20 million people are a major piece of the problem because they're why my insurance has gone up by 30 to 40% every year since Obamacare passed. Every year. Because I'm paying for them. I'm paying for them. And it's getting to the point where they can only make us pay for them for so much and companies are dropping out of the exchanges and the Obamacare is going up like crazy. And they are the issue because they're people that can't otherwise get insurance. They can't afford to pay a fair price for it or they have health conditions that prevent them from getting insurance from any insurer that doesn't want to go bankrupt. So what's the solution here? Government takeover, like you said, Jack. Yeah, but not the he can't. He came at this in such a way. There's this is what I've been thinking. I've been trying to figure this out for a while, and I think I've got it skinned now. President Trump 
cannot create a single-payer system. He's open to it, but he can't do it. It's political suicide. It's absolute political suicide. He can't just wipe out Obamacare and not replace it because he'll never get reelected to then bring in single-payer in a second term because that would be another way to go. He can't. It's impossible. What he can do is make a grand bargain. The grand bargain will be as follows. I would love, this is my plan, and we're going to implement it. We're going to competition across state lines, health savings accounts, taxes, all the stuff you guys wanted, we are going to get it done. We're going to get consensus and agreement from even enough Democrats in the Senate to get it done. We have the Republican votes. We're going to get it done. We have, I, I can't get it done without giving something. And what we need to do is, one of the things we need to do is we need to deal with these, these 20 million Americans, these poor people who are not the problem. See, I've told you the problem. He'll tell you they're not the problem. Remember I said they're not bad people. They're good people. But they are the problem. They're not the problem. But then he has to explain how they actually are the problem after he says they're not the problem, which will be something like, we can't force the insurance companies to take them on. We can't. And the last thing we want to do is something like expand Medicaid. We don't want to give them insurance. We want them to pay a fair and reasonable rate for insurance. And most of them are willing to do so. The public option. The public option. It will be Donald Trump in the grand bargain that gives you a public option for health insurance. United States uh, insurance. And, and anybody that really wants that insurance can have it. It won't be the best insurance. It won't be the best. But because it's there, it will spur competition in the market. And people will pay the government for insurance. And it will be like a little quasi, like a Freddie Mac, a Fannie Mae. Except it will be a full-on government insurance. Instead of an exchange with multiple insurers, it will be the government itself as an insurance company competing with the open market. But at the same time, it'll help molly, coddle, and pacify everybody. Hey, you know the government never does everything best. They do it adequately. And people that are in Obamacare or Trump care will be free to go out and get open market policies wherever they want. And everybody will be able to compete. And it'll have to be polished by a Madison Avenue marketing firm. But that'll be the guts of it. I know what you're thinking right now. Oh, never. We'll never accept a public option, Jack. You will. You will when it means the repeal of Obamacare. You will when it means your, your, your premiums will drop by 50% and you're almost bankrupt from them. Yes, you will. Like I said, you would. Very long time ago. That's his only way out of this. He has no other way out. Number six, this is all 100-day plan stuff again. Affordable Child Care and Elder Care Act. Allow Americans to deduct child care and elder care from their taxes. Incentivize employers to provide on-site child care services. And create tax-free dependent care savings accounts for both young and elderly dependents with matching contributions for low-income families. <clears throat> so basically... If you're having to take care of your elderly parent, you should be able to deduct that from your income taxes, though they're a dependent. And if you're having to take care of your child, in addition to the child discounts, you should have discounts for child care. The, the, the problem here, and why this could actually be a tax increase for many people, is if you're not paying for the child care, the deduction that you're getting for your child right now goes away. As though child care is the only thing you pay for for your kids. That $4,000 per person per household, gone. Under the Trump tax plan. Yeah, he's screwing you on that. Now, 
give and take, right? So who knows what the real plan is. Um, dependent care savings account for both young and elderly dependents with matching contributions for low-income families. The way it's all written together, I don't know if he means the employers, like you know, you have a 401k and your employer matches it, or if you're at a certain level, if you put money in, the government will match it as, as, as like an account for caring for um, elderly dependents. And in young dependents. So I'll put this money aside for, for my child's needs. See, that gets into, well, what's your child's needs? The government approving what your child needs and doesn't need. I, I see that as an expansion of government overreach. It, it's a, it's a nice shiny carrot, but it's a big club on the ass when you go reach out and take it. Um, the End Illegal Immigration Act fully funds the construction of a wall on our southern border with the understanding that Mexico will be reimbursing the United States for the full cost of such wall. Establishes two-year... Okay, let's stop with the wall. Can Donald Trump make Mexico pay for the wall? Since we give them over almost $500 million in aid a year, eventually, yes. One way or another, Mexico can be forced to pay for the wall. Will it happen? I don't know. Will the wall get built? I think some kind of wall is going to get built. I really do. Okay, now I'm going to go on to the next part. This is actually what I think is actually more important. Because uh, I, I fully support this. Um, establishes a two-year mandatory minimum federal prison sentence for illegally re-entering the U.S. after a previous deportation. Now, let me explain something to you. You know all these stories about little kids sitting in their house and the evil ICE agents come in and rip them from their home and grab them and their parents and put them on a bus and send them to Mexico? Doesn't happen ever. Doesn't happen ever. Does you You are... One of the minority if you get deported, and you've usually done something other than just come here illegally to get deported, like broke the other laws that actually have victims. Sometimes they're the victimless crimes like drug use and all, but in many instances, those that get deported right now are the criminal illegal immigrants. So what they're saying is, okay, you came here illegally, you robbed somebody's house. Fortunately for the person who was robbed, you got caught. You were sent to jail. You, were, you weren't let caught and released. You were deported, and then you came back here? Okay, now you're going to federal prison for two years. By the way, you don't get out early when you go to federal prison. Okay? And you're going to get deported again. Okay? And, uh, and a five-year mandatory minimum for illegally reentering with those with a felony conviction, multiple misdemeanor convictions, or two or more prior deportations. Also reforms visa rules to enhance penalties for overstaying and to ensure jobs are offered to American workers first. See, we're doing this under protecting American jobs. I think if you come to this country and you don't come through the front door like you're supposed to and you break our law and you victimize somebody that lives here, you should go back. And if you come back again, yeah, you should go to prison for it. I know you're going Jack, you're an anarchist. I know, but I'm also a pragmatist. This is the system we live in right now. I have to abide by most of the things these people do and, and, and get light sentences for would destroy my life if I did them. And, and I, I think it's completely unfair to others. And, and I, I've been mystified at how a person gets deported multiple times and has to spend any time in, in, in prison or jail for it. It's bullshit. And how people come here and break the law, the other laws, right? Not just, okay, you came here illegally. I'm willing to, I'm willing to say, based on the way we've been running things for the past 20 years, The person that came here, got a job, works in a, in, a, in a factory putting stuff in boxes, feeds his family and shit, I, I don't begrudge them. They're trying to get a better life. But the people that come here and they're gang members are not shooting people in the streets and shit, and we're not smart enough to get them the hell out of here. But Obama deported more people than any other president. Good and not enough. And notice how you never heard that until now. 
because they wanted to, to mollycoddle all of the liberals that don't want anybody deported. They're upset that he, they're upset. The liberals are upset. The liberals in the streets crying, throwing tantrums. The adult children with pacifiers and Play-Doh and coloring books, hot chocolate and tissues, and no, I'm not kidding, are upset that two million criminal illegals will be deported. People that did rape people. You know, they're sending rapists. Well, we do have rapists. We have rapists in this country illegally and not the wherewithal to get rid of them. Or when we do decide, oh, this guy's got to go, his home country says we don't want him. How about this? Well, you're getting them. Well, you're getting them. You don't want them. Oh, let's see. Foreign aid to Mexico. $440 million a year. Oh, it's a zero now. Bye. Call us back when you want them. Call us back when you want them. And every other nation except ours and the idiots in the European Union would do at least that. But we're stupid. So I'm all for this. We'll see if it happens. Um, Restoring Community Safety Act reduces surging crime, drugs, violence, and creating a task force on violent crime and increasing funding for programs that train and assist local police. And otherwise, more federalization of local law enforcement. Not, not for that at all. Increases resources for federal law enforcement agencies and federal prosecutors to dismantle criminal gangs and put violent offenders behind bars. Uh, that sounds like putting a bunch of drug dealers in bars to me. Uh, but whatever. I, I think that there's no doubt that we have a massive problem uh, at the urban level with crime and criminal activity. And many people that live there feel trapped by it and, and just... The, the, they, we need to help those people. Exactly how, I don't know how. But I, I don't know that this does that. Because I don't know what this is, because we don't actually have a proposal for what this is. This is a feel-good statement placating to the urban centers that Donald Trump pro promised to help. We'll see if anything comes from it. Restoring National Security Act rebuilds our military by eliminating the defense sequester. So if you remember, the uh, there was an automatic 10% cut across the board to all programs that got rammed down Obama's throat by the Republican Congress because they couldn't agree about how to how to cut it up in a different way. So this basically says, well, we'll, we'll, we'll pass a law that says the sequester no longer applies to the military. Um, we don't need more money for our military. We could spend less on it and still have better. Uh, the, the waste inside DOD alone is, is insane. We spend more money than the next eight countries combined on our military. But whatever. So that's that's what it is. Um, provide veterans with the ability to re receive public VA treatment or attend a private doctor of their choice. I'm 100% for this. I feel if you're a veteran and you have health issues and you're on VA health care and you go to VA and you can't get care, whether it's because you have mental trauma or physical injury or you have anything wrong with you and you die or you kill yourself because you're waiting Because we didn't have space for you yet, and you didn't have another option. We as a nation, and I'm not a religious man when I say this, but we as a nation have sinned. It is sinful. It is disgusting. It is revolting. When it comes to the military, I feel like we take the most noble among us. We sell them on a dream. We ask them to, ask them to sacrifice their body, tell them they're doing it in the name of their country and good things and freedom and the flag, and wrap the whole damn thing up in apple pie. 
and send them off into some shithole to get their asses blown away or to see their friends get their asses blown away and come back here and, and realize that they were lied to and deceived. And when they say, well, at least you promised to help me and take care of me and my injuries and what went wrong with me, we shove a big, in the words of George Carlin, we shove a big red, white, and blue dick up their ass. And it's sick. And if he can actually do this, it will be a very good thing out of the Trump presidency. Our veterans who are waiting for care should wait no longer than any other American waits for care. I'll put it to you that way. That doesn't mean instantaneous Cadillac care, but, and I don't think anybody should have to wait to the point of death. We have, a, we have veterans doing it, and it's wrong. So good. But we'll see if it actually happens. Um, Clean Up Corruption in Washington Act enacts new ethics reforms to drain the swamp and reduce the corrupting influence of special interests in our politics. What? Sounds great, but... So you're going to ask the Congress to pass a law that reduces their ability to be corrupt. Okay, good luck. Dear Fox, I would like you to pass a law that says you're no longer allowed to eat chickens out of the hen house anymore. We'll see how that works. So that's the plan. But you know what's not here and nobody's really talking about right now that might be the very best thing about a President Trump? Normalization in relationships between the United States and Russia. I don't think people realized how much of a stick in the eye the Obama administration and then Hillary Clinton threatened to increase to Vladimir Putin is going on. And this, this, this nonsense in Syria, what we're doing in Syria is stupid. So let me break it down to the like the non-bullshit, Jack Spirical level of what's going on in Syria. In Syria, we have the Assad regime. So let's just say the, the existing government in Syria. We have a group of Muslim extremists that are not as extreme as ISIS that want to oust Assad and put in an Islamic regime, a religious state, a theocracy in Syria. We call them freedom fighters, but that's what they are. Then we have a third organization, which is a more radical, more extreme group called ISIS that wants to do the same thing, but wants to be more extreme in their theocracy once they have control of Syria. Now, if you take about all of the bullshit and all of the leanings and all of the feelings and all of the but Assad's a dictator, and you break it down to just those three things, you have four choices. Back no one, back the existing government, back the moderate extremists that want to put in a theocracy, or back the extreme extremists that want to put in a theocracy. What is your first choice? If you're a logical sane person, your first choice is probably A, don't do anything. But if I say, okay, you've not done anything, it now looks like the third group, the, the complete nutso, nutbag, insane people that are pledging our death and killing people and throwing people off buildings, the complete nutsos might win. They might topple the government and defeat the moderate nutsos. you got to pick somebody now. You know what you'd probably do if you were a sane, rational person, even if the government was a scumbag government? You'd back them. They represent stability. They, recommend, they represent a secular government. They're killing people. Well, these other people are going to kill the shit out of people, too. 
Lesser of two evils, lesser of three evils, that's where you're at. For all the times you rationalized it when you were voting and you didn't think about it that hard, that's what you're actually thinking about. That's what Russia did. Russia said, you know what, everywhere that we have uh, seen a government toppled, the vacuums created a theocracy. Or a quagmire, and you guys, the U.S., that did it in Iran, Iraq, you're having to prop it up to keep it from becoming a theocracy. And you failed in Egypt, and you failed in Libya, and you failed everywhere else you did this, and Afghanistan is on the verge of failing, and the Taliban's stronger than they were before you started this whole mess under George Bush. So we don't think this should happen. We think that like there should be some level of stability in the Middle East. So we don't like this guy, but we'd rather him than he's nutsos. We're like, no, we want the moderate nutsos. From what I understand, it seems like credible reporting, Trump's already reached out to Putin and said, we're not going to have this animosity between our nations. But Putin's going to Ukraine. And I, I, I know it's going to sound shocking, but I honestly think what's between the Ukraine and Russia is between the Ukraine and Russia. I really do. And I think that Russia-Ukraine re, uh, relations are worse because of us. I think we're the one that caused the problem there in the first place. And I could go into why, but it's well, too long in today's show already for me going to why. If you want to research it for yourself and go back 10 years and look at what Russia-Ukraine relations were like, they're pretty good. Look when it changed and look what we were doing. When it, you might have to dig a little deep, but you'll find out. I think that the, 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 the likelihood of World War III, U.S.-Russia, either directly or through proxies, wasn't really high under Hillary Clinton, but it was higher than I'm comfortable with. A lot higher than I'm comfortable with. I think it's almost zero under President Trump. That's worth President Trump by itself. Now, if you think I'm saying this is a good thing, uh, I invite you to go to the uh, blog and look at today's uh, notes for the show. And as much as been made to do about the Simpsons, um, put out a couple cartoons over the years inferring that President Trump would actually happen. Two different times that I know of where they uh, had like future-looking episodes and President Trump was in charge. And uh, one's really eerie because it's, it's Trump coming down an escalator. And it looks just like when he came down that escalator and made the famous, you know, remarks about Mexico sending rapists here and stuff. And there was two images in there that are literally almost exactly what happened in this campaign that just, wow, like, yeah. But anyway, the picture I chose for today's show notes is a picture of Bart Simpson, and he's writing on the blackboard as he does at the beginning of every episode, and uh, it says, being right sucks. And I think there's a lot of people out there right now that are unhappy about President Trump, and people take that to mean that, oh, you wanted Clinton? Isn't she worse? My personal view is Hillary Clinton was worse. But if I were the, the writers of The Simpsons, I would feel like being right sucks. I'm not upset that I'm right about it here at the end. I'm upset that I'm right about it in its totality that led to this. That our nation has so fallen apart at the seams that when we got down to the two candidates for president, we actually had to pick between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. I, I, I said the same thing about Mitt Romney and Barack Obama, John McCain, Barack Obama. But my God, 
And I know many of you actually support Trump. And we need to give him a chance, like the, like the president even said. We need to give him a chance, right? Well, okay, fine. We'll give him a chance. But, I mean, just picking apart all these things he says that sound so great, and I start looking at all the holes in them, and I, I think this is... And I see what's really coming. More and bigger government, just like always. More and bigger government, just like always. Obamacare 2.0, under the guise of repealing and replacing it, with more government intervention, not less. And probably some short-term reduction in premiums, which is how it gets sold. But once the public option's in, it's only a matter of time until you have a single-payer system. It's only a matter of time. That's why everybody opposed it the first time around. Because when the rates do start going up again, people start just falling into the government system and more and more people. And the government doesn't have to make money. It can lose money and stay in business in perpetuity. I mean, imagine a government running a healthcare system and only losing $100 billion a year. Well, that's a mouse fart in the freaking deficit. It's not that much. Have you seen the national debt lately? You seen our $100 billion? That's all right. That's fine. So what do I think we should do? Same thing I've always said we should do. Continue to prep for bad times and design your life for resilience. Because if you don't design your life, these are the people who are going to design resilience in your life. And I, I guess I'm less upset about this than I would have been if if this had happened, you know, kind of the stage of my life was that eight years ago when it happened with Barack Obama. Because I do have concerns over a guy that flips his shit, you know, over little things. And publicly, when he's at a certain level of exposure, you know, I, I have a temper. I, if you go back over the years and listen, I have a temper. But I'm a talk show host, not running for freaking president. You know, when a guy can be baited by a tweet at 3 a.m. when he's running for president, it, it concerns me. Um, the, the spooky accurateness of The Simpsons scare me. Because, well... You know those two episodes where they had Trump as president? They also had him destroying the economy. Now, I think Trump has good business instincts. That doesn't mean what he's doing won't have very adverse effects on the economy. These trade organizations, these trade, trade deals like NAFTA, terrible for the country, but yet business has adapted to them. If you're going to unravel them and you don't unravel them exactly the right way, they can have tremendous negative consequences. So I would like to be optimistic here. There's been times where I've heard Trump speak, and I go back to being a kid in the 80s and hearing Ronald Reagan speak in my head. And, and I had this, this, this undying faith in my country, so much so that I eventually joined the military. I, I want to feel that way again. I want it to be morning in America. But I would also like you know, a lot of things to be true that aren't true. I would also like to believe that, that, that Santa will bring me presents this Christmas, and if I leave him cookies and get on the good boy list, I'll get more stuff. I'd like to believe that. Well, I believe in the spirit of Santa Claus. I don't think I'm getting, you know, toys from Santa this year. I just don't. Why? Because we grow up. Now, I, I'm going to speak up for Trump a little bit here because he's getting some flack right now because he's like he's hiring insiders. He better. He better. You want to get shit done with a Republican Congress that's not really all in on you and Democrats that hate you? 
You need somebody to be able to go make deals. He's appointed, it looks like, the chief of staff and chief strategist. These two guys are like completely diametric. One was the chair of the, the, the GOP, uh, the RNC, the Republican National Committee, and the other is like the Breitbart guy that wants to destroy the Republican Party and change it. And they're like getting like the two positions where they're going to have to work side by side right next to Trump. Good. Good. Perspective from both sides. That's great. I mean, I think he's making some good moves, and I'd like to see some good stuff come out of this. I think we will see some good and some bad. But in the end, averting World War III, or just the looming possibility of World War III, goes in the wind column. A justice to the Supreme Court that is going to be of conservative mindset, great. And people say, well, Jack, how do you feel about that in regards to gay marriage? Because you think gays should be able to get married. I do, and I'm not worried about it. I think it's done. It's settled. I saw somebody say recently, well, it doesn't matter that Trump doesn't care if it's a point he cares. It's not coming back to the courts. Now, what might come back to the courts would be some of these cases where people are being basically put out of business because they don't want to make a, a wedding cake for a gay wedding. And having a, a conservative court that says, yeah, you can't do that to people. You have a right to not provide service if you're a private business. You have a right to decide who you want to and who you don't want to do business with. You can take jobs you want and not take jobs you don't want. That's okay. I'm all for that. It's time for that pendulum to swing the other way for a while. That's liberty. Liberty is you can do whatever you want as long as you're not hurting me, but you can't compel me to do what you want because it hurts your feelings that I won't. I'd like to believe we're going to get some more of that under Trump, but I think the losses, I fear. I fear the precedent set by President Obama with spying on the American people. I'm, I'm very concerned about President Trump's view of things like the NSA spying programs. I think he thinks they're just wonderful. That's great. Because, and I think, he, I think, I think Trump, honestly, for all his faults in his heart, he's a good man. He's, he's the Jack Spirico as a kid that 100% believed in and loved this country that never saw it for what it really was. And is in, in, ingrained in it still with complete and total blind patriotism. That's scary. And it's something people cheer for. And that's even scarier. But again, design your life. Circle of influence, circle of concern. I have concerns about these things. But when I get off the air today, I'm going to go out and tool around a little bit with my new aquaponics system and, and, and tweak some things in it. I'm gonna I'm gonna figure out where my ducks are moving tomorrow. I'm gonna work on training my new dog. I'm gonna get everything ready so I can take turkeys to a butcher tomorrow. I'm gonna start planning, you know, how I'm gonna handle the time off for my hunt I'm gonna take in December. I'm gonna start getting ready for Thanksgiving. I'm gonna start thinking about the shows that I'm gonna be doing for you during what I call the holiday season, and if that offends you, F off. Right? Let me just say that right now, right? If I say happy holidays and that offends you, you are a child. Well, you're supposed to say Merry Christmas. No, I love Christmas. I'll say Christmas all day. Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. But I love the holiday season. I love the time from right up before Thanksgiving all the way to New Year's. I love the way people treat each other when they're not being assholes to each other and worrying about which way you chose to express something nice to them. I'm going to be thinking about that. I'm going to be thinking about the Christmas party when my family's going to come in from, you know, from far away that we don't see and they're going to, and my, my niece who I love like a daughter 
who I barely get to see, and when she's in town, I usually get to see her for an hour. They're going to come not only to our Christmas party, they're going to spend the night here that night. I'm going to have he, her and, and, and her children and her husband, who's like a brother to me now, I'm going to have them here with me. I'm not going to worry about all this shit. I'll look forward and say, okay, here's the way I need to position some things from a logistical standpoint, but I'm not going to get all wrapped up in this. I'm not going to have an argument or a fight with a friend or a family member because they think Hillary Clinton should have won. I don't give a shit. What you think doesn't matter. What is, is. All the hysteria, it's going to go away. It's going to blow away. It's going to be gone very, very soon. All the spoiled children will go back to their college classes and they'll go home to have turkey and stuffing with mommy and daddy. They'll color their coloring book of Hillary Clinton. They'll wipe their nose with their tissue. They'll drink their cocoa and they'll go back to some other social justice nonsensical bullshit until they run out of money and time in college, get their asses kicked out of their hipster nirvana into the real effing world and have to get a job and work for somebody like me and that's all I need to know. That's it. The world will go on. Everything will be okay. Focus on your life because it's what you actually control. With that, if you enjoy the show and you want to support the work that I do, please consider becoming a member of the Survival Podcast Member Support Brigade. To do that, just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on Members to learn more. When you do that, you'll see all the great companies we get you discounts from, and you can sign up there. We take cash, check, money order, uh, silver by uh, mail, Uh, we take PayPal online, and uh, it's really easy to sign up that way, and we also take Bitcoin online. It really is a great way to support the work we do here at the Survival Podcast. If you're not a member, consider we've been doing this now for over eight years, and we've been providing education and future-looking things like today that have proven to be very accurate. We've helped a lot of people. We'll continue to help a lot of people. We'll continue to help you. But the way we do that is through your support in our program, the Member Support Brigade. And remember, your membership, if you use the discounts, will pay for itself, and you'll be supporting a good cause. The other way to support us is by doing your Amazon shopping through TSPAS. Now, please do me a favor. If you listen to this show frequently, you're probably going to buy a bunch of crap on Amazon between now and Christmas because it's the holidays, right? Um, please do your holiday shopping through TSPAS, T-S-P-A-Z.com, for TSP Amazon, TSPAS.com. Go there and buy your stuff. Just go to TSPAS.com, click the link, go to Amazon, and buy whatever you were going to buy anyway. And don't even worry about what I recommend. Just just do your holiday shopping through TSPAS. That will really help us a lot, too. Now, I do put out a product every day, at least all the ways I'm working. I've had quite a few off lately, I know, um, due to illness, due to hunting, due to events. But I've been off, right? But I got one for you today that I think you're going to like. It's Galil Roasted Chestnuts, 100% USDA organic chestnuts, shelled and ready to eat. They're in a bag, like a foil bag. You open them up, and they're in there. Shells off them, peelings off them. Like, I used to love roasted chestnuts. Man, and I'll tell you, they are great, but they're a pain in the butt. You cut them and you put them in the oven and you got to peel them. And the, sometimes the shell's hard to get off. Sometimes the shell comes off, but the, the peeling part doesn't come off. And they're great when they work, but sometimes they don't. <clears throat> you buy them, you know, in a, in a store, in a bag this time of year. They start having them. And, like, sometimes, like, half of them are, like, rotted inside and all. And I've always liked to make chestnut stuffing. It's one of my favorite things to make around the holidays. And uh, the first time I ever tried to make chestnut stuffing, 
using fresh chestnuts was the last time I ever tried to make chestnut stuffing using uh, fresh chestnuts. It's just too much work to get, you know, a pound or, or a pound and a half or so of chestnuts. So a few years ago, I wanted to make chestnut stuffing, and I'm like, I wonder if they have any, like, kind of pre-prepared chestnuts. And I went on Amazon, and I found these. Again, they're Galil, G-A-L-I-L, roasted chestnuts. They're 20-ounce bag. You get three of them for, like, 13 bucks. And <clears throat> I ordered them, and they came in the mail, and I opened them up, and I looked at them inside, and they were kind of wet and sticky. And I went, <clears throat> well, that's not very nice, but for stuffing, it shouldn't matter. So I chopped them up and I made my awesome stuffing that I'm going to tell you about here in a second. And uh, they were great. They were fan-freaking-tastic. And I'm like, okay, great. Well, they work for that. <clears throat> But I had three bags and I used one in my chestnut stuffing because my family's boring and very few people in my family will eat chestnut sausage stuffing. They just want plain old breadcrumbs. So I was like, I wonder how they come out as like a roasted chestnut. So I, I, I tried making them. <clears throat> a couple different ways, and I'll tell you how I found that they work the best. You heat the oven to 425 degrees. You put them on a nonstick baking sheet or you know a baking sheet with like nonstick foil, and you turn the oven off when it hits 425. You stick them in there, you close the door, you let them for like 10, 15 minutes. Keep an eye on them. The outside kind of dries up and all, and you put a little bit of salt on them. Fantastic. Almost as good as fresh. Not as good, but almost as good, and a hell of a lot less pain in the ass. So roasted chestnuts are back. Now here's... Jack's Special Chestnut Stuffing. Here's the ingredients. They're all written up on the blog. You can find them at tspaz.com. Um, and, and so you don't have to worry about writing them down now, but I'm going to just tell you how you make this today. Make you a little bit hungry, and I'm giving it to you long enough in front of Thanksgiving that you can make this this year if you want to. You have plenty of time to get your chestnuts and everything else. So you need three to six cups of dried stuffing cubes or your own dried bread based on how you want, how much you want uh, an actual like bread binder in this. I use like three. I don't use six, but a lot of people like more volume and more binder. That's however you make it, you're going to make that. Um, chicken or turkey stock, sufficient for your bread stuffing. Don't make stuffing with water, guys. Use chicken stock or chicken broth or turkey broth or turkey stock. Butter for the above, because usually your recipe will call for butter, plus two more tablespoons of butter. One cup finely diced celery, one cup finely diced white or yellow onions. One to two 20-ounce bags of Galel pre-cooked chestnuts. Use as much as you want, but at least one full bag. Um, two pounds of sausage. You can use breakfast sausage. You can use mild Italian sausage or my special sausage that I tell you how to hand make. There's a link to that to get your address. But you want something that's got good fennel and sage in it is what you're looking for. Okay? Four to six slices of good thick slice bacon. Not your wimpy-ass Oscar Mayer crap. Right, You want your like right brand or something like that. You want thick bacon for this. Four to six slices of it. Fry up about eight so you can steal a couple and eat them you know, for yourself. A handful of fresh chopped parsley. Four to six fresh sage leaves finely sliced. Salt and pepper to your taste. What you do is you make up your, your, your stuffing mix. Two to four, uh, I'm sorry, three to six cups. Uh, dry measure of bread stuffing as your normal method. However you normally make just plain old stuffing. Uh, when you do, make sure you use your broth versus water. Set that aside. Then make your sausage into large, thin patties, like thin hamburger patties, and fry them like burgers until they're cooked through. Set them on a side on a towel to drain. Leave your sausage grease stuck on bits in the pan. Now fry your bacon until fat is well rendered out. Okay, but the bacon itself is not fully crispy yet. You don't want it all nice and crispy. You want it to be cooked. To where, like, at least it's like halfway to crispy and it's rendered out quite a bit of fat. Take it out and put it on, you know, some towels to drain with the sausage. 
Once the bacon and sausage has cooled, cut them into small pieces. The bacon just chop up into like crumbles. Sausage, cut it in slices and then back the rest. So it's in cubes about the size of cubes of stuffing. When you buy the pre-packaged stuffing, maybe a little smaller, but cut it in cubes like that. That's where you're going to do it in a patty versus in a, uh, like, just like a crumble. It'll come out much cooler. Trust me here. I'm a pro at this. All right. If you're using some kind of like an Italian fennel sage sausage or something that's in casings, just cut the casing off and make it into a patty and then, you know, do as I'm saying here. Um, next up, coarsely chop your chestnuts and put your celery and onions into the pan and saute until the onions begin to turn clear. Then add your chestnuts to the pan along with additional two tablespoons of butter and gently toss the coat with the pan leavings. Fold the sausage back in, okay? Then in an oven-safe pan, and for, for this, I usually use the aluminum throwaway pans around the holidays, less to clean up. You combine the sausage and chestnuts with the bread stuffing and mix thoroughly uh, until you have like a uniform mixture. Then sprinkle the bacon on top. And again, if you're prone to stealing bacon from yourself, make sure you cook an extra piece, a couple pieces to account for this. At this point, it's basically done. You could eat it the way that it is. It's just, it'd be fine the way that it is. I prefer to bake it covered with foil for about 375 degrees for about 25 minutes and then uncovered till the top starts to brown. And if you want to brown it up really crisp, throw the broiler on, okay? Throw the broiler on just long enough and keep an eye on it so it doesn't burn. And then, you know, serve it. This is fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Now, I'm going to give you the secret, the secret to this that I... I didn't put in the written recipe. So you can get everything else I've just given you online, written down, linked to from tspaza.com for today. But apples. If you want to, like, gild the lily with this, peel up two to three apples and finely slice them. And when you uh, when you get ready to do your chestnuts, before your chestnuts, when you've added your, your celery and your... Uh, onions, add the apples and, and, and cook the apples in with them, and then add your chestnuts and then your sausage and then fold everything in and put this like these, these soft-cooked apple slivers in there. Yeah, that just takes it over the top because people don't even really know. There's this sweetness, and now they come from, oh, it's awesome. You guys can't tell? I like the holidays. I like Thanksgiving. I like Christmas. This is kind of a cool one. Hope you enjoyed that recipe. It's called a little mini cooking show on its own, but uh, that will definitely kind of hook you up. So with that, let's move into um, final segment today. This is a song that I've been requested to play quite a bit. Um, it's come from a lot of different people. And I saw it posted again today from my buddy Brian out in California. And uh, he said, this sounds like Jack Spirico, right? And I'm like, it's funny because I've been waiting for the first show after Election Day to play this song. It's by Kenny Chesney, and it's called Noise. And a lot of the stuff that you're hearing right now, that's all that it is. It's just noise. And I really recommend, if you don't usually do it, go to the show notes today and watch the video of this song. Because it's everything. It's not just the politics and demonstrations in the street. It's the, the high fashion. It's the video games. It's all the crap. And the solution, what is the answer in the end? People start turning off the devices. They take a walk on a beach, take a ride in a balloon, stand on a pier and watch the sunset, play with your children. It's all freaking just noise. And we scream and we shout till we have no voice. And we're just noise. 
you want to get out of the noise, stop participating in it for a while. We have a great, great period of our year coming up with the holidays. Leave the noise behind. With that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Wrecking balls downtown construction, bottles breaking, jukebox buzzing, cardboard sign says the Lord is coming, tick, tick, tock. Rumors turn the meals back home, parking lot kids with the speakers blown. We didn't turn it on, but we can't turn it off, off, off. Sometimes I wonder, how did we get here? Seems like all we ever hear is noise. Yeah, we scream, yeah, we shout till we don't have a voice. In the streets, in the crowds, it ain't nothing but noise. Drowning out all the dreams of this Tennessee boy. Just trying to be heard in all this noise. Twenty-four hours. It's so loud that no one listens Sex and money and politicians talk, talk, talk But there really ain't no conversation Ain't nothing left of the imagination Trapped in our phones and we can't make it stop, stop This noise, yeah we scream, yeah we shout Yeah we don't have a voice In the streets, in the crowds It ain't nothing but noise Drowning out all the dreams of this Tennessee boy Trying to be heard and Every shade of noise All the floors, all the walls They all shake with noise We can't sleep, we can't think Can't escape the noise We can't take the noise So 